0: We've been doing prophecy all week long, and there's so much in prophecy. One-third of the Bible's prophecy, spanning over 17 books, 1845 prophecies concerning the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Lord Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of his first coming in detail, and he will fulfill everything that we preached this week will be fulfilled, and the message tonight is Prophecy and it will happen. You can try to excuse it, you can try to rationalize it away or make make some kind of joke about it, but it is true and it will happen. This is the future. We're gonna have that in just a couple of minutes, but first my wife is gonna come and share with us again what's called a sacred recitation. And, and this is a recitation that is for everyone, young people, teenagers, young adults, older adults. So listen carefully. And it'll lead us right into the message.
1: The spirit came in childhood and pleaded, let me in. But oh, the door was bolted with thoughtlessness and sin. I am too young, the child replied. I will not yield today. There's time enough tomorrow. The spirit went away. Again he came and pleaded in youth's bright happy hour. He came but found no welcome. For lured by Satan's power, the youth lay dreaming then and saying, Not today, nor till I've tried earth's pleasures. The spirit went away. Again, he called in mercy and manhood's vigorous prime, but now he heard no answer. The merchant had no time, no time for true repentance, no time to think or pray. And so repulsed and saddened, the spirit went away. Once more, he came and waited. The man was old and ill. He scarce could hear the whisper. His heart was cold and still. Go, leave me. When I need thee, I'll call for thee, he cried. Then, sinking on his pillow, without a hope, he died. If you reject God's final call of grace, you'll have no chance your footsteps to retrace. All hope will then be gone and doom you'll face. Oh, hear his call. This could be God's final call.
0: All right, let's take heed to that sobering, somber, yet... Wonderful warning from our Lord. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, we again unite our hearts together. I trust we're one here tonight in our thought that your word is truth and your Bible is prophetic and it does give us the truth and the reality of future events as they will unfold through your great sovereign prophetic plan we see fulfillments on every side in the nation of Israel and in this world things that you said would happen that are happening and even tonight now we preach about a future event that is also very serious and very sobering and will provoke thought how we pray would also be used of the spirit of god to bring conviction of sin and a convincing that the message of jesus christ is true and real and we must believe and receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. How oh, we thank you for the week that we've enjoyed together. These are very special people to us. We love Anchor Baptist Church. We love Pastor Turner and Becky and Pastor Kevin and all these dear, dear people that have so encouraged us and blessed us this week. Thank you for Brother Yasin as he takes us to the airport tomorrow morning. Thank you for his time and Labor. And we pray, Lord, that you bless now as we listen. It's so easy for our minds to wander off or be distracted. How I pray the Spirit of God would keep us in tune and that we'll be thinking and responding to what we hear in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Here is a message tonight from the book of Revelation. The the look at these final events of God's prophetic plan in Revelation chapter 20. Now God is a God of love, but He's also a God of justice. And here's a message we must preach with a tear. I would rather preach a hundred other things than to preach what God has led me to preach tonight. But this is what He wants. This is the message that we give to you tonight. I trust born of the Spirit of God and that we would think seriously about our future. And God warns everyone. That's the wonderful thing about God, and that's what's very positive, that God warns us to flee from the wrath to come. He doesn't have to do that. Do you understand that every one of us are sinners deserving of judgment? Do you understand that every one of us Loved of God, and yet we willingly break his laws. And so we deserve judgment. God didn't have to warn the Ninevites when he sent Jonah with the message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. Why didn't he say 20 days, 10 days, 5 days? He could have said no days. He didn't have to warn the Canaanites. He didn't have to warn those, day, those people in the days of Noah when Noah as a preacher of righteousness preached for 120 years. <laughs> Judgment's coming. The flood is coming. Get in the ark. It's the only haven of safety. It's the only salvation. All, all were invited to get into the ark. And everyone except Noah's family rejected and refused the message of warning. And when God loves us, he warns us. He didn't have to do that. God and his justice could send every one of us to hell and we would deserve it. He could have said, you've all sinned against me. I'm going to send all of you to hell and I'm going to start over again. I'll create a new Adam. I will create a new Eve who will obey me. He had every right to do that. And Instead, he saw you... You saw me in our great need and plight and you've all sinned against me and you all deserve condemnation. But I will intervene and I will interrupt your sinful lifestyles to present to you the salvation of God through the, the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe tonight he will divinely and miraculously interrupt your life, Amen. to bring you to the true salvation that he offers by his grace. Amen. Not through religion, not through good works, not through self-righteousness, but by his grace. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. John the Apostle is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And John is actually given a glimpse of that final judgment, I believe John saw the very event. Remember, God is totally outside the realm of time. He created you and me in time and space, but he's not limited by time and space. And he could actually show John the event that is yet future, the event that is prophetic, that the event that actually displays God's love and warning to any who are not yet in the faith of Jesus Christ but let's read it and then I want to expound it for you in three points 3 P's we like peas revelation 20 verse 11 John says I saw it I saw it I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth And the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. john said i saw it i saw it a great white throne not great in its size but great in its majesty white not necessarily the color but symbolic of the dazzling purity of the one seated on that throne i saw a great white throne, the very throne of God. And who's sitting on that <clears throat> throne? Who's the judge here? It is the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, won't that be God the Father sitting on that throne? No. Jesus said it in John five twenty two: for the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, In Romans 2.16, it actually points clearly that the one on this throne is Jesus Christ. And do you understand the implications of that? Do you understand that all of these people, billions of them, standing before God, standing before God the Son, that Jesus Christ loved them and died for them? The Lord Jesus suffered on that cross the pain and the penalty of our sin. He bore our sins on his, in his own body on that tree, on that cross. He loves every soul. Hebrews 2.9 says he tasted death for every man. 2 Corinthians 5.15 and that he died for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And all those now standing at this great white throne are lost. Some came out of hell, some from the sea, but they're all standing there. They're condemned. They're going to the lake of fire. And they're standing before the one whose soul wanted to be their savior. Jesus Christ loves you. He died in your place. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of your sin. He rose again triumphant and victorious over the grave to prove that his claims were true, to prove that God the Father was absolutely satisfied with his suffering for your sin and thus raised him from the dead. And he ascended back to heaven. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And at the will of Jesus Christ, evangelists are called, pastors are called. John 20, 21, as the Father hath sent me, even so send I you. I am sent by Christ himself. Pastor Turner is sent by Christ himself. And we were called of God and now thrust into these ministries of which we herald the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that souls might be saved it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching, to save them that believe. It's called foolishness because that's what the world thinks of it. Greater Vancouver thinks what we're doing in here tonight is foolishness. you mean to tell me that <laughs> somebody can come in here, hear a sermon? And be transformed radically so that now they're going to heaven. They came in this building heading for hell. but they're leaving, heading for heaven. They think that's foolishness. We think it's the power of God. (laughs) Because that's exactly what happened to me. September 19th, 1976. In the back of the Maranatha Baptist Church in Okinawa, Japan. While I was serving in the United States Air Force. (laughs) And my drinking buddy. I got drunk with many times. Choked a lot of weed. But he got wonderfully saved. I didn't know what that meant. I've been saved. I've been saved. I thought he was drowning in the East China Sea. What do you mean he got saved? I'm going to be baptized tonight with believer's baptism. What's that? I'd never heard of that before. (laughs) I was a good old Roman Catholic boy. Got baptized as a baby. (laughs) Come and watch my baptism. Well, I did that night, that Sunday night. I went in there as lost as lost could be. I went into that church house, breaking the laws of God, loving sin and Satan and self. I went in there, and I heard the saving gospel of Christ that night, and I was wonderfully saved, dramatically saved. I left that church house totally changed. Saved on my way to heaven. See, the world thinks that's foolishness, but God calls it His power to save. And so I saw a great white throne, and Him that sat upon it, which is Jesus Christ, the same one who wanted to be these people's Savior, is now their judge. They could have believed, they could have had Him as Savior, Lord of their lives, but they chose differently. And God gave you a free will to choose and he will not violate it. (laughs) If it's your choice to reject, resist, and refuse Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, God will not violate. He will not force you to come to him. He only presents to you his gospel and his plan of salvation, his desire to save your soul so that you can be with him forever. That's God's will. (laughs) 1 Timothy 2:4, who will have all men to be saved and to come out of the knowledge of the truth? He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repent in 2 Peter 3:9. And so the Lord Jesus, who wanted to be their Savior, is now their judge. And He's sitting on this great white throne, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. No place for them. Billions standing before him. Certainly, there's found no place for them in heaven, for they died in their sins. But literally, there was found no place for them to hide, no place to escape. See, right now, you can hide. Adam and Eve hid from God in the garden. Isaiah 53 we hid our faces from him, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. See, now you can hide. You can hide behind a religious system. Well, our religion doesn't teach hell. We, we teach annihilation. <laughs> our religion doesn't teach you have to be born again. You have to be saved. You have to be transformed in the grace of God. Our religion teaches just be a good person. Be a good neighbor. Give help. You can hide behind your religious system if you want to. You can hide behind relationships. You can hide behind a boyfriend, girlfriend. You can hide behind career. Busy building your financial portfolio and your rank among the business world. You can hide behind career and say, I'm just too busy for God. You can hide behind evolution, atheism, humanism. You can hide behind these things right now if you choose to. And if you're hiding behind atheism, the main reason you hide behind that is because you're trying to escape this very event. The atheist is trying to escape accountability to the God of heaven who created them. And if I can explain away God or deny that he exists, then I can sin my fool head off. Never have to worry about guilt. I can sin to my delight never have to think about standing before a god and giving account. Oh, atheism is a nice thing to hide behind. Agnosticism, humanism, a host of other isms. You can hide now. You can hide behind a hundred flimsy excuses now. But in that day, you'll not hide. In that day, there's nowhere to escape. And that day, you'll be laid open and bare before the one with whom you'll have to do. And then we find our three P's. Who are the participants? What is the purpose of this judgment? And what is the ultimate penalty? So who's standing here? Who are the participants? John tells us in verse 12, and I saw the dead. The dead. The spiritually dead. Four times in verses 4 through 12 through 15, you have the dead, the dead, the dead, the dead. These are the spiritually dead, small and great. There will be kings and queens. There will be popes. There will be imams. There will be pundits. There will be all kinds of great religious leaders. There will be all kinds of great businessmen, all kinds of great people. then there will be the small, the peasants, the plebes, the... Servants, the slaves of history, small and great, stand before God. These are the spiritually dead. Do you realize we are born spiritually dead? We're born spiritually dead. We're born with a corrupt, depraved human nature. We are born in Adam. Wherefore, as by one man, Adam sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all of sin were born with a corrupt, depraved human nature, a sinful nature. And that nature is separated from God. Is that me making all that noise? Taking this off. No problem. Is it a problem to anybody here? You got got hiccups? (laughs) Hey, the truth of the matter is we're all born in sin and we choose to sin against God. We're sinners by nature and sinners by choice. Ephesians 2, 2 and 2, 3 tell us that. We are rebellious against the authority of God. Everyone is. That's why Isaiah 53, 6. Oh, we like sheep. Have gone astray. We've turned everyone into his own way. Every human heart. Born in sin. Choosing to sin against God. Every one of us have broken the laws of God. We choose to go our own way. Our old sinful heart. Wants to reject God's authority. I don't want God telling me how to live my life. I don't want that Bible telling me how to live my life. I certainly don't want this pastor telling me how to live my life. I'll live by my own set of rules, my own standards. I got my own thoughts about how someone gets to heaven. And thus, in your rebellion, you refuse and reject and separate yourself from the God of heaven. Isaiah 59, 2. For your sins, your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And if you choose to live a life separate from him, I'll go my own way, I'll, I'll do my own thing, thank you. You choose to live a life separate from God, then you will be separated from God forever in the lake of fire. It's not because God sends you there. I, we hear it all the time. How can a God of love send anyone to hell or the lake of fire? And the truth of the matter is, God doesn't send you there. You send yourself there. God has made every provision for you to be saved, born again, washed in the blood of Christ, given eternal life, a home in heaven prepared for you. He's made every provision. But again, he won't violate your ability to choose. If you choose to be separate from him in this life, then you'll choose to be separate from him for all of eternity. And you'll send yourself to the lake of fire. So the participants are those who are the spiritually dead. We were born spiritually dead, and we continue to be spiritually dead until we have this dramatic, save, born-again experience. That's what Ephesians 2.1 says, And you hath he quickened, you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Every one of us born spiritually dead in trespasses and sins, and we stay that way until he quickens us till he resurrects us. He makes us alive in this life. We can be saved, we can know that we have eternal life. God wrote this book so that you can know you have eternal life, 1 John 5:13. And so spiritually dead. The Bible says all of us were born on the broad road heading for destruction. And we stay on that broad road heading for destruction until by faith, through grace, we receive Christ as our Savior and Lord. And then the Lord reaches down to that broad road heading for destruction and plucks you off of that road. And by his grace and mercy and love and compassion, he places you on his narrow road that leads to life Matthew 7, 13 13 and 14. So these participants are the spiritually dead. These participants are those that have no rebirth. Jesus said in John 3, 3, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. John 3, 5, unless you're born again, you will not enter heaven. Jesus said that. I didn't say it. He said it. Well, if Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We better know what he meant. Are you interested in that? Does that concern you? What does it mean to be born again? That's another couple of whole messages, isn't it? But to be born again is a spiritual transformation that is wrought entirely by the power of God. Has nothing to do with you. Not how religious you were, how often you went to church, how money you put in an offering plate, how good you lived, what good neighbor you were, good father, good mother, good husband, good wife. <laughs> it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus Christ. When you got to come out of your self-righteousness, you got to stop trusting in some religious system and stop trusting in your ability to be a good person. Because God's word says your heart is desperately wicked. God's word says we're not a good person. And we willingly break his laws and thus are condemned. So we gotta come out of religiosity, come out of ourselves and our own thoughts about being good enough for God's heaven. Or you owe me heaven, look what I've done for you. No, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Wouldn't heaven be an awful place if we got there based on what we did? So I meet Pastor Turner up in heaven. He says, uh, Brother Chauvin, you got a minute? Uh, yeah, yeah, I got all of eternity. Why? Uh, would you sit down here with me? I just want to rehearse for you all the things I did so that I could go to heaven. See, that won't happen. None of us, none of us get to heaven based upon what we do. We get to to heaven based on what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's all Christ. And you gotta come out of religion into relationship. You gotta come out of a system to a savior. You gotta come out of a program to a person. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Didn't say, oh, wretched man that I am, what shall deliver me? What baptism, what sacraments, what laws, what traditions, what good things can I do? No, the answer's not a what, but a who. <laughs> oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Romans seven twenty-five. 25. And he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So what are you trusting in to get you to heaven I ask many people this question. If you were to die tonight and go to the gate of heaven, and they should say, why should I let you in? How would you answer? Because what they're going to tell me is going to reveal what they're trusting in. 99% of the people who ask that question answer this way. What, why should God let me into heaven? Because, because, because I... <laughs> I was baptized as a baby, I was confirmed, I went to church, I read the Bible, I prayed, I'm a good person, I did this, I did that. And you know what? Those people never even mention the name of Jesus Christ. Not once. They are so full of religious pride or self-righteousness, they think that getting to heaven is based on them, what a good person they are, and the good things that they've done. (laughs) Don't even mention Christ. If you can get to heaven through religion or doing good things, then Christ never had to leave heaven and go to the cross. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.21. I did not frustrate the grace of God for if righteousness comes by religion or keeping laws, then Christ is dead in vain, Paul said. Why did Jesus Christ, who was spirit, one with his Father from eternity past, why would he leave heaven and take on a human body? Hebrews 10, 5, a body has thou prepared me. And God, who is spirit, takes on humanity. He didn't leave his deity behind. He was still God. But he added humanity to what he already was. Born of a virgin, grew up sinless life, gave that perfect life as a sacrifice for your sin and mine on that cross, and rose again and now offers freely by his grace the gift of eternal life. But you must come by faith and receive it. So these are the spiritually dead. These are those who have no rebirth. And so they have no spiritual birth certificate. That's what the book of life is, by the way. The moment you're saved, the moment you receive Christ as Savior, your name's in the book of life. Spiritual birth certificate and these have no relationship with the God of heaven although many are religious and the lord jesus very concerned about this group gave us matthew 7:21 through 23 listen as i'll quote it for you not everyone that saith to me lord lord shall enter into heaven for many shall say to me in that day what day this very day in revelation 20 the great white throne judgment many not a few many will say to me jesus said lord lord we prophesied in your name we were religious leaders around the world we were imams and pundits and and we were popes and we were bishops and we were Uh, good religious people, and in your name we cast out devils, and in your name we did many wonderful works. (laughs) And that's what they were trusting in. They weren't trusting in Christ and Him alone. They were trusting in their wonderful works. (laughs) And so these even religious people are so shocked and surprised that they're standing there before the judge, ready to be condemned and thrown into the lake of fire, We're good people, we're good religious people. Why are we standing here? You're standing here because you trusted in religion and you trusted in your own good, wonderful works to get you to heaven. You didn't trust Jesus Christ who was sacrificed for you on that cross. You didn't trust his shed blood, which has power to forgive sin and cleanse you and save you. You didn't trust And the one who rose again from the dead, who now gives the promise that you can be saved by grace through him. And so they will hear the word of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7 23, Depart from me, ye cursed. Depart from me into everlasting fire. He says, You know why? Because I didn't know you, I know you not. You were never born into my family. You didn't have any personal relationship with me. Yes, you were religious. Yes, you had some good things under your belt. But I didn't know you. See, Those who are saved and born again are known of Christ. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. Does he know you? Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Do you realize that religious enterprise, apart from Christ and his spirit, is iniquity with God? Iniquity is crookedness, it's perverse. Religion, apart from the power of the Holy Spirit, is iniquity to God. And so these are the participants, the spiritually dead, no rebirth, no birth certificate, no relationship with the living God. So what's the purpose of this judgment? The purpose of this judgment is not destiny. This judgment is not to say who's good and who's bad and a good, old, good old works out way bad and so some are going to go to hell and some... No, who's ever at this judgment, it's already settled. Your destiny was settled when you died in your sins. and That's what the Lord Jesus said. He said it in a number of places, but John 8, 24, If you believe not that I am He, you shall die in your sins, Jesus said. And then you know these words. Listen to this, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, The only begotten Son of God. The word believe in the New Testament means to place your trust, your faith, and your dependency for eternal life in Jesus Christ and Him alone. Not Jesus Christ plus the religious system. Not Jesus Christ plus my own good works. Christ alone. I come to Christ as a humble sinner. I come to that cross where Christ died as a sinner inviting the crimson flow of His blood to cover me. To save me, to forgive me. The purpose is not destiny, but degree of punishment. That's the purpose of this judgment. The lake of fire will be hotter for some than it will be for others. Everybody at this judgment is going to the lake of fire. But the degree of that punishment will be determined. These people are judged in two ways. First of all, they're judged by works. Now, works of religion cannot save your soul. But if you're not saved and you die in your sins and you stand at the great white throne judgment, then all of your works for your entire lifetime are written in those books. It's what it says. The books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life and the dead the spiritually dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works every single thought and deed and action and motive every thing you've ever done is written down in books in heaven now are they written down because god can't remember what you did let's see let's see uh, uh, uh bub over there, What, what did you do? No, they're written down so that when they're rehearsed before you, you understand that you deserve the judgment. This is Romans 3.19. That every mouth may be stopped. And every soul becomes guilty before God because there are many people standing there. They don't think they deserve to go to the lake of fire. I'm not guilty of anything. I, I, I was a preacher. I, I, I exercised demons. I, I did many good ones. See, many people today are not convinced that they're lost and heading to hell. On the contrary, they think they're good people and they're trusting in their own goodness. And so all the things are written in the books and will be rehearsed before each one of those coming before Jesus Christ, that they may know that they deserve the judgment that's about to come, that every mouth may be stopped. You don't realize how many people say, well, I'll just tell God. (laughs) No, you won't. I met people tell, I don't know about you, Pastor, but I, I talk to people all the time, and they're well, I'll just tell God. About, about, about. You gonna, you're, every mouth will be stopped. And all the world become guilty before God. Every thought that has ever come through your mind is written down in those books. Every work, every deed. That's what Hosea chapter 7, verse 2, God speaking. And God said in Hosea 7, 2, And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. Now their own doings have beset them about. They are before my face. Every word that's ever come out out of your mouth is written down. The Lord Jesus said that in Matthew 12, 36. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak They shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. Every thought, every word, every deed is written in those books and will be opened and rehearsed before you. Some of those works are are listed in Revelation 21 verse 8 right across the page in my Bible. Revelation 21, verse 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now that's quite a list. But did you see who number one on the list is? Number one on the list are the fearful. Don't you find that interesting? The fearful, those that were afraid to get saved, those that were afraid to let it be known in a few minutes when I ask you if you'd like to be saved, and you'll shoot up your hands and say, yes, I want to be saved tonight, but you'll be afraid, and the devil will fill you with fear about getting saved. What are your family going to say? What's your girlfriend going to say? What's your boyfriend going to say? What are your workers at work going to say if you get this born-again business? You are one of those religious right thumpers, all right? Oh, the devil fills people with fear. The fearful, the largest group in hell tonight, they may have known they needed to be saved. They may have heard the gospel several times, but they were afraid, afraid to get saved. Many are afraid of the changes that Jesus Christ will make in their lives. I mean, they look at the lives of other born-again believers. I don't want to be a goody-two-shoes like that. They're afraid of Jesus. They're afraid of his miraculous power in their lives to totally recreate them and change them. But that is what he's going to do. I'll just put it right up front. You get saved, you'll be radically, dramatically changed by the miraculous power of God. That's what happened to me. I went in that church one way and I went out a totally different way. And the things I loved before and no longer love. The things I used to hate, now I love. I was absolutely changed. What a great change it was. But people are afraid of the changes. And so these are the participants and these are the, the purpose judged by works, and then judged by light. Can I share something from the Lord Jesus with you? In the gospel of Matthew chapter 11, he tells us about this judgment. It's not only the works, every thought, every word, every deed, every action, every motive, it's light. Do you realize written in those books is every single time that you had an opportunity to be saved and yet you refused it? Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus who's talking about the cities around the Sea of Galilee where he did most of his miracles and most of his teachings. Chorazim, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. Capernaum. Those were the cities that saw his miracles, multitudes of miracles, heard his teachings. And he says to them in Matthew 11 verse 20, Then he, the Lord Jesus, began to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works or miracles were done because they repented not. And he said, Woe unto thee, Chorazin! Woe unto thee, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works or the mighty miracles which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable, different degrees in the lake of fire, it will be more tolerable for the people of Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Where's Tyre and Sidon? Those are the twin capitals of of the country of Phoenicia, located just to the northwest of Israel. Tyre and Sidon were the headquarters of idolatry, Baal worship headquarters. Jezebel was from Sidon. In fact, she's the daughter of the king of Sidon. And you know about Jezebel, how wicked and idolatrous she was. And here's the Lord Jesus saying, if, if I did the same miracles in Tyre and Sidon among those idolaters, they would have repented, but you did not. So it'll be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than it'll be for you, because you had much light. You saw my miracles, you heard my teachings, and yet, you still rejected me and and resisted. Then he goes on in verse twenty-three, and thou Capernaum or Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works or miracles which had been done in thee had been done in Sodom, Sodom and Gomorrah, it would have remained until this day that I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. <laughs> Capernaum, or Capernaum, both pronunciations are, are proper, Capernaum or Capernaum, they use them both in Israel, was the principal headquarters of Christ. And I host tours of Israel, I've been there 10 times, my 11th time is, is next year if you wanna come with me. And we'll take you to the very synagogue in Capernaum where Jesus taught. The same synagogue is there where he performed so many of his miracles. And these Jews around the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum saw those miracles and heard his teachings more than any other city. And yet many of them refused to receive him as Messiah, as King, as Lord. He said, it'll be more tolerable for the Sodomites And if you don't know what Sodomites are, I'll talk to you later. Wicked, immoral people. They were so wicked and immoral that God had to rain fire and brimstone from heaven in Genesis 19 and destroy them all. And yet, if the people of Sodom had seen the miracles that you see, Capernaum, they would have repented it will be more tolerable for them. You've had much light, you've had much opportunity to see my miracles and hear my teaching, and yet you refused. There are degrees of punishment in the lake of fire, and then finally the penalty. What's the penalty? In Revelation 20, in verse 15. Revelation 20, in verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is no joke. It's very serious and somber. It will happen. If your name's not in the Lamb's book of life, if you don't have a spiritual birth certificate, you're still spiritually dead. No rebirth. No relationship with the living God of heaven. You've chosen to live your life separate from him. Now you'll be separated from him forever in the lake of fire. And that was your choice. So here we have this... Penalty, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Can you imagine the people who are now trembling as they've had all of their works of their whole lifetime divulged from those books? Every opportunity they had to hear the gospel like you're having tonight is written in those books. Do you realize this very meeting is written in the books of heaven? If you're here tonight, you've never been saved, you've never been born again, and you refuse, resist, and reject Jesus Christ and his free offer of grace and salvation, you go out those back doors, still in your sin, still choosing to live separate from God. This very night is written in the books, and you'll remember it when you stand before Jesus Christ. You remember on that 31st of January? Remember that Wednesday night? When you were in that meeting with the evangelist Randy Chauvin and he appealed to you and he cried out to you to receive Christ as Savior and you walked out those doors in your sin and you refused the salvation, do you remember that? It's in the books. And So the trembling, the crying, the weeping, the fear that grips the heart of those who have just had all of their works and light opportunities exposed And then the awful sentencing, Matthew 25, 41, where the Lord Jesus will say, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And then the Bible says an angel, one of the angels of God will bind you and now carry you to the edge of the lake of fire. I don't know how it's going to be exactly. I don't. I know an angel is going to bind you and throw you into the lake of fire, but is there a long corridor that extends from the throne of God? As the angel has bound you and you're, is carrying you, and, and now you get closer and closer to the flames, you begin to feel the heat coming from off the lake of fire. The closer you go down there, the more you hear the screaming and the crying of those who have gone in before you. Will you turn and say to Jesus Christ, I'm going to the lake of fire, don't you care? <laughs> and he'll say, yes, I care. I cared for you so much I left heaven and died in your place. And my hair was matted by the crown of thorns for you. And my face was beaten beyond recognition, Isaiah fifty-two fourteen for you. My back, my legs, my arms, every muscle of my body was shred to pieces from a Roman cat of nine tails for you. And I carried a 50 kilo crossbar down the Via Della Rosa to Calvary to the place where I was crucified and nails nine inches long and half an inch thick were nailed into my hands and feet and I was lifted up. And I suffered. I poured out my life's blood for you. And I loved you and I died to pay the penalty of your sin because you could never pay it yourself. And I suffered and I died but I rose again from the dead, Amen. alive forevermore, freely offering salvation by my grace. And I sent you evangelists and I sent you pastors. I sent you concerned fellow workers and neighbors and friends and family to warn you, to give you a warning from me, and you refuse. Yes, I care! But you refused, rejected, and resisted me. So that the angel, course, throws these people into the lake of fire. It will happen. There will be that burning, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8 and 9, and flaming fire taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. In Matthew 13, 42, the Lord Jesus said, And will cast them into a furnace of fire, and there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. John also writes in Revelation 14, 10, and 11, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And they shall be tormented with fire and brimstone and the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever and they have no rest day nor night. That's no joke, is it? The Lord Jesus said in Mark nine forty three, if I hand defend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter maimed into life than having two hands to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt in the life, than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into life, life with one eye, than two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Jesus said that. Is he teaching us to literally sever parts of our body, not at all. He's saying, whatever is keeping you from being saved, if it's something your hands are doing, some place your feet are taking you, if it's something you're looking at, get rid of it. Jesus says, there's no one or no thing worth going to hell for. Get rid of it. Don't let it hinder you from coming to me. You want some good news? Just right about now you need some good news? You don't have to go there. <laughs> That's the great, You don't have to go to the lake of fire. You don't have to go to the great white throne. Everything of your destiny can change tonight. Jesus said in Luke 19 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Lord Jesus is seeking you that he might save you. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He says in Romans 8:1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And he's the one who said in 1 John 5:11, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to know you'll be with Him forever. He doesn't want you to go to the lake of fire. He doesn't want you to be at this judgment. And if you come tonight and say, yes, I will receive Jesus as my Savior and Lord tonight. I want to be born again. I want forgiveness of sin. I want eternal life. And you call on him, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not might be, not maybe, not hopefully, not find out someday when you die, the moment you call on the Lord Jesus out of a heart of repentance and faith, you will be saved. You will be saved. And then the Lord Jesus will take his divine eraser. Some of us are older, remember the old chalkboards? All those things that were written on the chalkboard and then Usually some student was assigned to erase the chalkboard, remember? And big eraser, erasing every single thing that was on that chalkboard. That's what God will do in heaven the moment you get saved. He'll take his divine eraser and he'll erase every single entry that are in those books against you. Those things are gone. Nothing in those books remains to condemn you. That's what he wants to do for you tonight. Will the Lord Jesus be your Savior, or will he be your judge? The choice is yours.